Hi, everyone. Quick plug before we get started. As many of you probably already know who listen to this podcast, we've launched an app. It's called Vivio. It tracks your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset and gives you individualized recommendations on a daily basis on how to get healthier, to improve your well-being, and to perform to your potentials. If you want to check it out, visit vivio.com, V-I-I-V-I-O.com. Thanks so much. Let's dive into this episode. Welcome back. Great to be with you on my podcast for each week. I do my best to deconstruct excellence. And as my friend Ray Zahab says, 90% of excellence is mental and the rest is in your head, which is why we are sharing with you today a conversation that I had with mental skills coach Jean-Francois Menard. He's an internationally acclaimed mental performance expert who coaches high achievers in all walks of life. He's the founder of Cambio Performance, a company specializing in mental training and leadership coaching. His clients are proven winners, Olympic gold medalists, Cirque du Soleil artists, Super Bowl and X Game champions, surgeons, musicians, and corporate leaders. He's a best-selling author, a radio personality, and an accomplished speaker who travels the globe to share his knowledge with high-performing companies. His latest book, which we discuss extensively in this podcast is train your brain like an Olympian gold medal techniques to unleash your potential at work. Really excited to have this conversation with JF. We speak about all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, all the tactics, tools, strategies, and techniques that you can use to keep your mind sharp and performing to your absolute best. I know that you're going to love this episode with so without any further delays, please enjoy my conversation with mental skills, Coach Jean-Francois Menard. Jean-Francois, thank you for joining me. It's great to see you. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. So um, it's been an interesting year. You've got a lot of athletes getting ready for maybe the Olympics, maybe in Tokyo, maybe with the fans, maybe not. Like, what's this? How has this year been for you? How are your athletes doing? Like, how are you, how are you coping with this crazy situation? Well, it's been challenging for everyone you know olympic athletes just like people in the workplace um you know our lives have completely changed greg and i think one thing that um, is quite clear is how much we rely on knowing what's coming up in the future and when we don't have that people are people are lost and uh, it's been the most difficult things for most people especially when you talk about motivation and, and staying focused like you know, we rely a lot on knowing what's coming up in two weeks and two months and two years. Um, and it's not until we don't have it anymore that we realize how much we rely on it. And that's what the pandemic has done. And so I challenge people to redefine their goals, like, you know, to see to see long term future, not as seven months, but maybe more seven days, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we don't know what's going to happen in a few months. Um, and I, you know, one of the quotes that I've been using a lot in the last few months is the best way to manage uncertainties is by focusing on the certainties, you know, like, uh, and there's a lot of stuff that is certain in our lives. Like, you know, what's going on today and tomorrow and maybe the next week and, you know, taking care of ourselves, you know, the, um, our agendas that are coming up in the next few days, like those are things we do control. And, you know, we have brains that like to, to project uh, long-term forward and, you know, just always bring it back and bring it back and bring it back. So I would say that generally speaking, 
the athletes that I've been working with are doing quite well, even though it's, I mean, it's not fun. They, they like to compete, right? And they're not, they haven't been competing much in the last 14 months, but um, they've been really dialed in, really disciplined. I think what has really saved them is they put their focus on the certainties, what they really control. And that's now. So, yeah, I love that. Just the idea of control, what you can control and don't allow your attention or energies to get directed towards things that you cannot control. That's a, that's an incredible idea. And, and don't be so hard on yourself. Like that's what I tell athletes. Whenever you catch yourself having thoughts about what's coming up in five months, just don't, don't criticize yourself. Just bring it back. Like, okay, well, what can I do in the next few days? That's going to help whatever I'm going to do in five months. And um, yeah, it's been a lifesaver. And in the end, you know, this type of focus is important in non-COVID times as well. It's just that now we're more exposed to not knowing what's coming up. And even if it is predictable, like think about it, you can think all you want about what's going to happen in five months. But when you get there, how oftentimes is it exactly what you predicted? Never, right? Never. So never. And so, um, you know, even in terms of like having big goals and, you know, like, no, I have a really successful business going on. And a lot of people ask me, like, what's your secret about like long-term planning? And my secret is I don't really have any long-term planning. You know, I just focus on doing great work on a regular basis and maintaining relationships and and making sure that I'm having fun in what I'm doing. And things just kind of they just it's just natural. It's organic. It just they just come up, right? So um, so a lot of these great athletes have a similar focus. And 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 some of them that have started started doing some competitions recently. I've actually competed quite well, even though the, you know, their, their programs were different and they didn't have access to the facilities like they typically do. Um, but we adapt, we're made to adapt as human beings. So totally. I mean, that's our, you well, probably what humans are better at than any other organism on the planet really is just our ability to adapt. Right. And I watched with amazement as the ISL, the international sports uh, swimming league, uh, the sort of pro swim league came back online this year and people that hadn't competed in a long time like Caleb Dressel was getting out there and breaking world record after world record after world it was unbelievable to watch these athletes that had taken a, a year off still be able to perform at incredibly high levels so I really hope that that's something that we can see in Tokyo this summer probably via television because there won't be any foreign foreigners in the stands but may not even be any locals in the stands but yeah that's um that's a really interesting thing that they love to compete haven't been able to, but the discipline and the focus on the present moments enable them to keep going and keep discipline and stay on the training. That's super fascinating. And interestingly enough, a lot of these athletes were forced to recover more and, you know, to, you know, to, to not train as much. And a lot of these athletes that are typically, you know, traveling the world, well, they've been sleeping in the same bed for the last 14 months and not having to go through jet lag and stuff. And, and ironically enough, less injuries, you know, better moods for a lot of them. And uh, like I said, some of these athletes are coming back now and performing better. So it's really interesting because now we're questioning like, you know, how much training do they really need to get ready for important events? And, you know, as you know, working in, in elite sport yourself, it's always this juggling about like what's overtraining versus being under recovered. Because, you know, athletes are able to train a lot, but this recovery piece is the secret weapon to a lot of these athletes. And it's not until they're forced to stop or relax that they understand how recovery is important. So it's been one great lesson from, from COVID is, 
most of these athletes have not trained as much as they used to, and they're in better shape. So, isn't that fascinating that uh, once they've actually been forced to sleep, not travel, not be jet lagged, get the recovery and regeneration physically, because we're not traveling so much that the mind and the body have adapted, healed. My daughter's grown so much because she's been sleeping so, <laughs> I like just sleeping constantly. And especially in the first three months of the pandemic, my kids slept the entire time. Uh, it was unbelievable to just see how fatigued they were. And they're young, right? And so I can't, I can, and I can imagine, and I remember just how exhausted we were as athletes and as even as a staff around the, the athletes. So this forced recovery. I, I understand it completely as a physiologist, but what does that look like for you as a mental skills coach? Like I understand, yes, we build more red blood cells, we repair muscle yeah. tissue, but from a from a mental skills perspective, what does this amazing recovery look like from from your from your world? Yeah, well, there's a lot of angles I could take this, but the first thing that comes to mind is some of these athletes are telling me that they don't feel rushed for something coming up in this, and, and this is very. Like it's not tangible, it's very abstract, but this concept of being constantly rushed, it's it's grueling and it really eats up inside and uh, it's difficult to measure. Um, you know, it's very easy to measure like big traumatic stresses and you know, like you know, like major things that have happened throughout the year, but like having to, you know, run from one meeting to the other and having to take care of, you know, certain appointments or doing this and doing that. I mean, people, just people in the workplace right now are, are feeling it. Like the biggest problem, Greg, right now in the workplace is being on meetings all day, you know, from eight until five, it's back to back to back to back meetings. And, you know, a lot of these companies, because I, I do a lot of work in, in, in the workplace, you know, teaching mental skills to, um, to, to corporate leaders and to, um, you know, just, just anyone in the workplace to be a little bit more efficient. And um, I've been telling these companies, like, stop having these meetings back to back. And if you're going to have meetings, instead of making them an hour long, make them 40, 45 minutes and, and offer transition times from meeting to meeting. Because if, if you had meetings in your, in your building, uh, you would never allow your, you know, you would never ask your, your, uh, your employees to go from one meeting in, you know, from nine to 10 and then have to run across the building to a next meeting starting at 10. Like there would, there would be some time to, to go from one meeting to the other. But now it's a click on the screen, you know, like end meeting and then start the next one. Yeah. And so, and so our brains and our bodies, they're not made to go on and on and on and on without having moments to recover. And, you know, to think that you can be just as good at four in the afternoon that you were at eight in the morning without pacing yourself, without having it planned, um, it's absolute, it's ludicrous. Like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. And so a lot of these top athletes are kind of living the same thing in their own world. Like, they have so much flexibility now in organizing their time because they're at home. You know, it's, it's easier. And so, um, yeah, so that's one thing, not being rushed as much. And I just, even in terms of like the work that I've actually done with these, with these athletes in the last 14 months, I don't remember, Greg, the last time I'd had so many deep conversation and meaningful conversations with the athletes because we're not rushed to get ready for a competition. We have time to get into these mental skills and talk about like self-confidence for 
10 hours if we need to. Um, right. it's, it's, it's so much fun because there's a lot of these athletes I've been working with for like six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. And, and we were just like, we're in the grind, you know, just, it's the same thing year after year. It's the same routine. It's the same schedule. And for the first time in history, there's been a big pause on planet earth. And, and now we have time to talk about fundamental things that, um, I'm convinced that it's going to be an investment, not only for the Olympics, but for the rest of their career. I couldn't agree more like Judith and I, my wife and I have been having like two to three hour chats every night, just about stuff. And then like, what do we want? Because <laughs> everything's been thrown out. So it's like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to live? Where do you want to be next year? Kids are in digital school. We can go wherever we want. Like we can do we the, the level of freedom. And of course, I'm super grateful. And I acknowledge the privilege of having the job that I have. It allows me to work wherever I am. Um, like it's just been uh, it's just been amazing to be able to pause, breathe, reconsider. Similarly, with all my corporate clients, we've had those conversations. What is it that we're doing? Why are we doing it? And and discover that that meaning, the purpose, like and craft the vision of a better future. Because we're not in the grind. We have time. I'm not racing around to the next airport. Uh, we can have these conversations and not be rushed and actually put some thinking into pacing out our lives and planning our lives. So it's a unique opportunity that we have right now. Well, and I think, you know, the pandemic has forced us to, um, to really prioritize taking care of ourselves, even though this is, this should always be a priority. This should always be important, but uh, we're fragile. Like we really are. And, and we see it now, like, you know, we're with people, you know, you, you flip their life around being at home, some lost their jobs. Some, I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate. Nobody in my entourage has been really affected by COVID, but there's a ton of people that lost people in their lives, like from, from this. Right. So, um, but in the end, we need to take care of ourselves and, you know, people are not healthy. It's, it's, it's a huge problem in our society. And I, I've got to say, that, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be Canadian. I, I think the way Canada managed the pandemic until now, even though we can always go back and say they should have done this, should have done that. You know, you look across the world and what's going on, you know, we're doing pretty well. Okay. And I'm, and I'm proud to, I'm proud to be Canadian. But the one thing I will say though, you know, how many times have we been told to wash our hands and wear a mask and social distance? And we know this, like we, we know that's what we need to do. But arguably the most important thing we need to do is to have a strong immune system to combat this virus. If you look at people who are vulnerable, it's people that have a weak immune system. Yeah. And it's, it's a fabulous opportunity to take care of the biggest problem we have, obesity, being unhealthy, not sleeping enough, not eating properly. And I mean, I'm talking to physiologists, I don't need to convince you. Uh, but it's an amazing opportunity that I find the government is like not taking advantage of. And there's no greater time to realize how important it is to be healthy. <laughs> and we're not talking about this enough, I think. I couldn't agree with you more. My blood is boiling as you're, as you're speaking. Actually, I haven't said a lot of this stuff out loud because I've sort of been holding my, my tongue, but I'm not going to anymore. And yes, we need to get vaccinated. Actually, I've got my first dose. So I'm on that, on that. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I've got part one done. I'm in. And yes, you should wash your hands because it, 
you pick up viruses when you touch things. And yes, you should wear a mask because when you cough or sneeze, you're, you project viruses and droplets up to 30 feet away from you. So wear a mask. That is like just the basics of not infecting others and protecting yourself so that you don't infect other people who are more vulnerable than you. But in addition to that, and as you said, it has not been discussed, the effect of vitamin D and getting out in the sun, exercising outdoors, which we know improves your immune system and keeps you healthy. Exercise, which if you exercise consistently, reduces your risk for viral respiratory tract infections by up to 75%. And put that in the context of how effective vaccines are, from, which is essentially from 65% to 95%. It's right in that same level of protection. And then we're not even getting into sleep, which improves the immune system, and nutrition, which also improves the immune system. We even had professionals, health professionals at the start of the pandemic say there's no association between your nutrition and your immune system, which absolutely boggled my mind. That came out from a number of dietitians, which blew my mind. But let's not go there and get all frustrated about that. We know that exercise is good. We know nutrition is good. We know that sleep is good. I'm curious from your perspective on the mental skill side, how is stress? How does stress affect the immune system? How does this constant feeling of being rushed or anxious affect the immune system? How do our mental skills keep us healthy? Because that's also something that is a variable that we can all control. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, the word stress to start with is such a general term. You know, it, people use this this word all the time. I'm so stressed out. But in the end, it absolutely means anything. It doesn't mean anything. You know, the word stress is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a family of things that could stress you out, right? We have positive stress. We have negative stress, which a lot of people know this. This stress is the negative one and you stress is the positive one. Um, but are you living? Are you living anxiety? Are you living frustration? Are you living uncertainties? Uh, uh, and it's important to label these things because, in the end, um, when you talk about fear, for instance, well, fear is 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 not a thing. Fear is is simply a story we make up in our minds about something that could potentially happen. But this is extremely important for people to understand because that means that you're making something up in your mind that seems real because you believe it, you construct it in your mind. Um, but think about it. Most things that we're scared about when we finally go through them, our reactions are, well, I wasn't so bad. Well, that means that whatever you imagined before and what it was in reality, there's a huge contrast. Um, and then I could, I could go on and on and on talking about this, but we really got to be careful in, in the words we choose when we speak to ourselves. Um, you know, and, and I'm very fortunate to, you know, to work with, with clients that are, you know, some of the best in the world. And, you know, to become a world champion, to become an Olympic champion, when we talk about small details, I mean, it's no joke. You know, so it's just sometimes just one word that an athlete can tell himself just before they go down the skiing hill or before they take the pool or that could determine between a first place and a fourth place. It really is like that. So, you know, I, I take Mikael Kingsbury, for instance, uh, our famous mogul skier. You know, you talk about performing on demand. You know, it's one performance that lasts more or less 23 seconds every four years. Like, you know, for people listening to us right now, if I told you, you have one chance every four years, you've got 25 seconds to be the best version of yourself. And if you, if you screw up, you, you have to wait four years to redeem yourself. 
Like that's a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, that's that when you talk about performing in the man, that's performing on the man. So, so Mick and I worked for months and months and months prepping for that one moment when he was going to be on top of that hill before his final run. What are you going to tell yourself? Because when you're going to be there, your brain will think your, your brain is made to think you can't stop a brain from thinking it will think. So you might as well make sure it's thinking about good stuff. And so we worked a lot on acknowledging the butterflies because you will have some, uh, you're not, you're not a machine. You will be emotional. It's the Olympic games. It's absolutely normal, but you have a choice. You can work with the butterflies or you can work against them. And when you do feel them, if you have words such as, uh, Oh, I don't like this. I'm in trouble versus, Oh yes, my body's getting ready. I can do this. Well, that's the difference between being on your toes and being on your heels. Or it's, it's, it's the difference between being proactive or reactive. It's a difference between being a victim of the situation or being the aggressor, like really going for it. It's just a few words. That's all it is. And in the end, your brain believes what it hears, not necessarily what's true. So, so we got to be careful. And, you know, th there's so many examples I can give and in, in how powerful this is. And just to simplify it, like, think about, think about when we go to the grocery store. And what, and what you write on your list, if you, you have to go buy 20 items, are you going to, are you going to write on your list what you need or what you don't need or what you don't want? Like, would you ever write on your list? Like, I don't want butter. I don't want bananas. I don't want cereal. I don't want chicken. Right. Um, never. And the reason yeah. you would never write that is because that's not being productive. You want to go in there get the stuff and get, and get out. Right. Um, but that's what we do with our brains when we're negative is we're thinking about what we want to avoid or what we don't desire, or what we don't want to get into. And, but your brain is listening because if you wrote that list, I don't want bananas, butter. I don't want chicken. I don't want cereal. And you study it because that's what we do when we're negative. We're not only negative once we, you know, it's, we repeat and repeat and repeat in our minds. Uh, well, guess what? If you have a list like that and you repeat it 10, 15, 20 times in your mind, when you're going to walk into that grocery store, you're going to see everything you don't want. And so, again, it's just a great example to, to make you understand that. And I'm not saying you need to be positive all the time. What I'm saying is make sure you speak to yourself based on what you're searching or what you're looking to perform or what you're looking to feel. I could talk about this for a long time. So <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's interesting because so many other people on this podcast have brought up the same thing, and then it's about the narrative that we say to yourself. And imagine if you spoke to others the way that you speak to yourself. Sometimes imagine if you were as hard on the people around you as you are on yourself. You'd have no friends. No one would come hang out with you. It's you know, we are our own worst critics, and the positive self talk. The the words that define our reality are so incredibly important. So building that awareness of how you speak to yourself, your awareness of that inner chatter of your mind is so critical so that you can begin to nudge it in a direction of positivity, of flow, of constructiveness, of focus. Um, and as I heard someone describe it once as like, you have all of these things in your brain all the time. And then there's this little ball of light of your attention and you just, your ball of light of attention just goes to where you want it to go. So why not send it to the areas that make you happier, that make you better, or that improve 
improve your life rather than those areas that beat you down. Not to say that we have to be positive all the time. You do need to deconstruct. You do need to figure out why something's not working. You do need to think about where you could get better. But at the same time, the way in which we do that can be compassionate to ourselves, which is a very different approach than what I think a lot of us are habitually doing on a day-to-day basis, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Well, the metaphor I use, you're talking about the light. Um, I, I ask people, where, which direction are you pointing your flashlight in your mind? And which is the same thing. It's like, it's always a choice, right? Um, but to your point about um, positive thinking, something that is, is critical that we don't talk enough about, I find, is that one of the best ways to learn, progress, get better as a human being is through contrasts. <clears throat> we learn to appreciate winning much more when we lose once in a while. We learn to appreciate being healthy when we're sick once in a while. We learn to appreciate being loved when we've been hurt once in a while. Uh, we learn to be positive by being negative once in a while. If you're always positive all the time, it loses its meaning. And at some point, life is not about rainbows and butterflies. Like our brains are constructed to, to have highs and lows. We're made that way. And, and to a certain extent, we need to respect that. So there's a big difference between having a positive attitude and what I call having the right attitude. Hmm. So for instance, if someone is getting ready for an interview for an important job, and they, you know, they've been getting ready for this interview for like two or three weeks, like reading up some stuff, you know, doing some research about the company, yada, yada, yada. Okay. And they go through the interview and it didn't go very well. Well, the last thing I want that person to think is, oh, well, it's not the end of the world. Like, you know, there's going to be other opportunities and no, like be frustrated. If you want to be mad, ex- you know, experience it, live it. Why? Because that's what your mind needs to go through at that point. And I'm not saying to stay in that mood for two or three or four or five days, but experience it at some point, then then you transfer to, okay, all right, now I've experienced it, I lived it, and now I can carry on and think, okay, what's next? What can I get from that? How can I be better? And then be a little bit more constructive and positive. And then then you get on that train of, of, you know, thinking a lot more, in an optimistic way that you're going to bounce back and things are going to be fine in the future. But you know, this whole, you remember the book, the secret that was published early in 2000s. So, you know, this whole concept of law of attraction, which it's really interesting when you look at the timing of this book, because back then there was no other book like that. If you look, if you just type positive psychology books, now there are, there are hundreds of books that have been published and the law of attraction is a good concept, but to a certain extent, what I, what I, what I dislike about this is this idea of, you know, just throw, throw out their positivity and positivity is going to come back. There is some truth to that, but it's not entirely true. And I think, I think it's okay to go through moments where, you know, you struggle uh, that you question yourself, that, that you are frustrated and mad because some of the best performances, Greg, that I've ever seen from some of my clients were after moments where they struggled. If you take a Mick Kingsbury's performance in Pyeongchang, arguably his best performance in his career, he finished second the World Cup before the Olympics, which was arguably the best thing that could have happened to him. Because just before that World Cup, he had won 14 World Cups in a row. 
and becoming maybe a little bit too confident, taking things for granted. Whoops, finished second before the games. He was ready for the games, mm. was frustrated. He hated the fact that he finished second, but it prepared him so much better for the games. Scott Moore, Tessa Virtue, they lost two months before the Olympic Games to the French skaters. They were furious. They were mad about that performance. But I had never, ever seen them so dialed in after that, that finishing second. They came back to training and it's like they were on a mission. And they went to Pyeongchang and they performed beautifully. And, and I have example after example after example. So contrasts. Is, are extremely important and we got to talk more about this and it's that's that's what that's what high performance is we put athletes in situations where they're going to fail more often than they succeed so that so that they're hungry to have success in the future yeah i was actually just saying that this morning to because uh, i've got this video of my daughter rock climbing and i was doing a session for a, a company and um i was like i i take my kids out and we do rock climbing we do mountain biking we do surfing we do skiing because you are going to fall. Now, hopefully you're har- You're wearing a harness and a rope, so you're not going to hurt yourself, right? Or you're skiing with an instructor, so you fall down on, you're not going to fall off a cliff um, like I have done previously many, many years ago. Um, but you still want to experience that failure, getting learning how to get back up again. And it was, I, I could tell that some of the people on the call this morning were like, what, you, you have your kids fail? I'm like, yeah, no, all the time actually, as much as I possibly can. Obviously, I'm there to support them like crazy when they do fall to help them get back up and go again. But the last thing I want is them going through life thinking that it's easy because then they get to be 25 and they go, as you say, to a job interview and doesn't go well. They have no clue how to cope. So I'm a huge fan of of failure, of fear setting, of defining, you know, that reality about what if this doesn't work, like then realizing it's not that big of a deal. Carry on. Let's go. So how when you when you talk about um, Kingsbury or Test Virtue and 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 more Scott more about that moment where things don't go well, you're months out of the games. You've got to find that motivation. Where does that motivation to take it back up a notch come from? And yes, of course, the contrasts help with that. But I'm curious to know, like, how do we pull ourselves up off the ground? How do we, you know, you brush your brush your knees off? They're skinned. They hurt your elbows are scratched, your, you know, your confidence is bruised, your ego's taken a beating. How do you get back up and go to the next level? People often ask me, Greg, what's the definition of mental toughness? And the way I explain mental toughness is, um, or or, or what's, what's the definition of having, you know, the, um, to, to be tough mentally, basically. And the reality is you don't become tougher mentally when things go right you become mentally tougher when things go sideways and still choose to have the right attitude during that time because to 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 be optimistic positive to have a good attitude when things are going right that's easy anyone can do that but to still have that type of mindset when you're struggling or finish second or you know like you've injured yourself or uh, that's not easy and those are, those are moments where your brain becomes tougher. The same way that lifting weights, I always give that example. It's the same thing. Like if you want to have stronger biceps and, and you're, only, you're only lifting you know, 10 or 15 pound dumbbells and it's too easy for you, yeah, great. You can do a lot of reps, but you're never going to get stronger. Uh, 
at some point you got to lift a weight that you can't lift properly, struggle, go through it, make sure you have the proper technique. And at some point you'll be able to lift that. Mental toughness is exactly the same thing. So, you know, to, to come back to your point about putting your kids in, in difficult situations, you're forcing them to have a good outlook about the situation in a moment where not, it's not easy to have that outlook. So, so therefore, it's going to take something bigger in the future to challenge them. And, and that's what I've been telling people with this pandemic. We have an unbelievable opportunity right now to make our brains tougher because to have a good attitude in a pandemic like this uh, is not easy. And if you find a way to do it, think about what it's going to take later on to throw you off. It's going to take something huge. Yeah. And so when you see it this way and you see it as an investment, um, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's a different shift. Um, so, so with these athletes, that's what I would tell them after, you know, coming off those, those subpar performances. So now you have an opportunity. Now, you know, now, you know, it doesn't work. Now, you know, that if you do that again, you're going to have a similar performance, a similar result. And they're so like, you know, these athletes are so obsessed with, um, you know, understanding what they can do to get better. You know, it's, 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 it is a privilege. It really is to be around these people because they, you know, they, they give me a lot of credit for helping them perform better, but they have no idea how much I learned from being around these people. Like they're, you talk about perseverance resiliency you know not taking no as an answer it's i it's it's easy to say you know anyone can say this but to actually do it yeah it's um so to take it to the next level you know to, to come back to your to your question again i come back to the contrast thing until you're really challenged you don't know that you need to take something to the next level and that's and that's the problem sometimes with people who are always good at doing things you know, someone who never makes mistakes, who never fails, doesn't make someone great at what they do. What I tell these people is what you're doing is not hard enough. <laughs> they don't like, they don't like hearing this. Oh, I can imagine that it, doesn't go over. But in the end, but in the end, that's, it's, that's exactly it. I mean, if you, if you take the concept of becoming an elite performer, they're constantly pushing their limits. And the reason they do this is they know that that's, that's how growth works. You push your limits and at some point you go too far you have to come back a little bit and then push it again and at some point your limit becomes bigger i had I, I was doing a podcast with someone a few months ago and that person asked me a question that i've never been asked before he said jeff you're a really busy guy and at some point you got to decide where you put your focus he said how do you decide what deserves your time and what doesn't like how, what's your filter and i wasn't too sure what to say and the only thing that came to mind is I purposely choose things that scare me. And, 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 and the person running the podcast was like, really? I've never heard that before. What do you mean? And then I was, you know, just listing everything that I had on my agenda, like writing a second book and like, you know, like giving talks to companies that, um, you know, they're asking me to talk about stuff that I've never talked about before. Like, you know, taking on some new clients that I have no idea what their sport is about or, you know, their profession or, you know, starting to work with this CEO of a company that, um, you know, is almost twice my age and has a tremendous amount of experience. And that's threatening to work with someone like that. But that's, that's the stuff I love. Because in the end, it keeps me on, it keeps me on edge. And, and, 
I don't have to force myself to reflect and to push myself to learn and to read articles and stuff because I have no choice. Because if I don't do that stuff, there's no way I'll be able to do my work with these people. Uh, I could not agree with you more about doing things that scare you. Like that's, I'm all, I'm always trying to think about like, I've got to keep learning something new. got to be challenged. If I'm not scared, I don't think I'm, I don't think I, I don't, I'll, I even don't feel like I'm living properly if I'm not doing something that sort of makes my adrenaline surge a little bit. Yesterday I was out mountain biking. I'm not a very good mountain biker, uh, but I'm in a, I tried a, a run on the mountain near where I live and I went out with a friend of mine and it was insane. Like literally straight down. I was like, this is nuts. This is absolutely stupid. Um, I've already broken my neck once. Don't need to do that again. So, but then I was like, and it's all berms, right? So you're just doing switchbacks all the way down and going up on the walls to be able to do it. And I was like, and I was just like, okay, no, you actually like being, being scared. Just do one, right? Just do one berm, just do go around one corner and then you can stop and then just do it. Right. And I did it the first one. I crashed, did another one crashed. And it was like, I'm just going to try the ones where I'm turning left and those worked. And then eventually I was able to do better and better and better. But point being is that doing stuff that scares you is awesome. You People listening may not want to do that. That's fine. Basically, just do something that challenges you is also good. But I think the key to getting down that hill yesterday and the key, I've been to three Olympics, all with television, never um, as an athlete, but over and over and over again, as I was commentating and, and working as an analyst, I saw the athletes are calm right before they start, right? So I'm looking at down this hill. I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, no, wait, I'm just going to do one. I'm going to calm down. I'm just going to do one. Mm. And the ability to stay calm under pressure, I think, is one of the crucial skills that athletes mm. have. And we're all faced with pressure, whether it's your child getting um, a bad mark on an exam and they're freaking out, or maybe something bad happens at work that you've got to deal with, or you get the news that a loved one is unhealthy, um, or, you know, we can certainly all identify with that over the last 14 months. So how do we chill? How do we keep ourselves calm under pressure? I would say there are three, three main things. I would say one, uh, the breathing. If you look at the common denominator between yoga and Tai Chi and relaxation techniques, classic re relaxation techniques and mindfulness. And uh, it's, it's all based on breathing. It's all based on breathing. And, and, it, and, and from, a, from a physiology standpoint, everything's connected to your breathing system. So, you know, by breathing better, your heart rate will drop. By breathing better, your nervous system relaxes. By breathing better, you know, the electricity in your brain slows down. Uh, by breathing better, you know, like you know, the blood flow in, improves, like the, the list goes on and on and on and on. But most importantly, when you focus on your breath, you're automatically in the present moment. And the reason is, is we never breathe in the future and the past. We always breathe at the, at the present moment. And so athletes focus on their breath all the time. And they're not, they're not necessarily meditators. And this is, this is one thing that I've noticed that a lot of people are, are afraid of using a breathing practice is they think that they need to do this for 5, 10, 15 minutes to see some benefits. Focus on your breath for 10 seconds at a time. Focus on your breath for 30 seconds a minute if you can. And you will see a lot of benefits from that. And, and athletes are a great example. Like very few athletes have 5, 10 minutes to relax. But they have 30 seconds or 10 seconds or 40 seconds. Uh, you know, some of these, these uh, hockey players that I, that I work with, I keep telling them, 
the most important moments in hockey games are not what happens on the ice. It's what happens on the bench. Because mm. if you're able to recover quickly from what just happened, be fresh, prepare for your next shift. Hockey is a game of reaction. You're, you know, 40 seconds shift, things happen so fast that the way you're going to behave on the bench is going to have a huge impact on the way you're going to be on the ice. So they, they'll focus on their breath for 45 seconds, a minute, minute and a half. I was reading something at some point about Raymond Bork, um, who, you know, the younger people might not know that name, but who is arguably one of the best defensemen ever to play the game. And he used to say that when he was on the ice, he was playing hockey. And when he was on the bench, he was breathing. Mm. And that's all he did. He said, played hockey and it, and it breathed. <laughs> that's, that's it. And, and so, so the breathing piece, if I can give you know, uh, some advice to people listening today is just use it all the time. Use it for 10, 15, 30 seconds. I do personally, I do timeouts about seven, eight times a day. And I typically do this before sessions, before podcasts, before coaching sessions, before speaking gigs. Um, the same way that, you know, a hockey team would have, would use a timeout later in the game for 30 seconds. The reason they do this is to calm down, come back together, make sure the plan is clear, take a sip of water, and then you go back and you're fresh. Well, the reason I do this before every coaching session is because I'm always in, always managing multiple things in a day and it could be easy for me to be distracted when I get on this podcast, for instance. And what Greg deserves and what, and the people that are listening that that des deserve, you deserve my full attention. You deserve GF fully present. You don't deserve a GF that's distracted by the coaching I did this morning or the interview I did two, two hours ago. You don't deserve that. And so for me, those timeouts allow me to flush what was going on and get ready for what's coming up. Um, so that, that, that's one thing, um, using your senses. We talk a lot about that with athletes. When you pay attention to what you see or what you hear or what you feel, um, senses always act in the present moment. Your senses don't think you can't think process information and clearly look at something at the same time. It's impossible. They're two that's different so things. Cool. Right on. And so, and so we talk a lot about this, like, with, with, um, I've been working with track and field a lot. And for sprinters, the, the greatest sprinters in the world, when they're in the blocks, they're not waiting for the gun to go. They're just listening. They're just paying attention to hearing from their ears. And as soon as the gun goes, they don't need to tell themselves to go. They know. As soon as they hear that, that goes inside, bang, they're gone. So I was working with a sprinter at some point and he was, he wanted to improve his starts. And I asked him, I said, well, what's, what are you thinking about when you're in the blocks? What's going on? And he said, what well, I'm waiting for the gun to go off. I said, well, did you know that when you're waiting, you're anticipating the future? Is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Bang. Oh, it's there. Oh, I got to go. Well, that represents about 15 hundreds of a second. You know, that, that time that you're losing. Think about like when you're waiting at the grocery store in line. You would rather be at the cash register paying and, and leaving. So you're not in the present moment. You're forecasting. You're, you're ahead. You're in the future. Well, waiting in the blocks is the same thing. So for someone who's waiting for someone, waiting for the bus, waiting for their turn to go, you're not in the present moment. You're in the future. Um, so senses is great for that. And uh, we talked about it a little while ago, but, um, you know, your, your self-talk, like, you know, to make sure that you have cues, words, things you can come back to, to recenter. 
And athletes are great for that. They all have cues. They all have these buzzwords that they'll use to bring their focus back and what they need to be paying attention to. So, yeah. Awesome. We could keep going for hours. We'll have to have you back. Can you tell us a little bit about your new book, Train Your Brain Like an Olympian, which we have here? Thank you so much for sending this over. I'm working my way through it. I'd just love to hear about the book and how people can get in touch if they want to follow your work. Yeah, so so the book um, actually, <laughs> it, uh, it happened by peer pressure. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, I'm not a writer. I don't like writing. I'm a, I'm a talker. I, I like to use my mouth, not my words. And um, But through my, my public speaking, I always had people come up to me saying, like, do you have a book? Can we know more? Like, uh, so at some point, I kind of had no choice. So uh, so I wrote the, the French edition two years ago, and the English edition just came out this January 2021. And in the end, it's about explaining how these mental skills that I teach elite athletes, how we can use this in the workplace. So when you talk about like managing pressure and being focused and being self-confident, being motivated, having a good attitude, being resilient, well, I would argue it's just as important for someone in the workplace than for an Olympian. Like, you know, people in the workplace are on all the time. You know, they're going through these challenges regularly and you know, our brains are the motor to performance. You know, you can be, you can be someone, you know, let's say you're, um, you're, a, you're a lawyer and you're really bright. You have a, no, a lot of knowledge. Um, but if you can't manage yourself in pressure moments, you can't access that knowledge. You can't access that brightness and in, in, in everything, you know, so to learn to stay calm and to pay attention to the right stuff and, to be confident before you go into court or before you're going to have to deal with a client, those mental skills are crucial in order to get into your full potential. So, um, so I wrote a book, a book about it. And th the way I wrote the book was very important because I find that a lot of these books in sports psychology, performance psychology, positive psychology, they remain a little bit abstract. And a lot of them are preachy. It's like, you know, seven habits of successful people which, yeah, okay, true, these seven habits can help you, but it's not by doing these seven habits that you're going to become amazing. I'm sorry, that doesn't work that way. It's, everyone's different. Everyone needs um, you know, a different way of going about high performance. So the way I wrote the book is more about, I just shared you know, 250 pages of examples of stuff that works for athletes, circus artists, surgeons, police enforcers, because uh, I work with all kinds of people in high-pressure situations. And I let, I let the reader decide what works for them. And, and, and as you know, through reading it, there's a lot of uh, pictures that are hand-drawn by me, the same way that if you're in my office, because I use a whiteboard all the time and always drawing some stuff, because you know, human beings are visual learners, right? And when we talk about mental skills, sometimes you know, psychology is abstract. It really is. Like It's difficult to understand what pressure is and confidence. And um, so through images, it, it it supports a lot of these stuff, the, the stuff that I'm explaining in the book. And, and I wrote it uh, as if I'm speaking to you. Uh, that was very important for me as well, because I want the reader to feel like they're with me uh, as they're reading the book. So uh, the, 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 the feedback has been amazing. And I'm ironically, you know, this wasn't supposed to come out during the pandemic because the French version came out just before the pandemic started. But I'm kind of happy that it came out at this timing because you know, people need it. So yeah, it's been fun. Right on. That's awesome. Um, 
I highly recommend everyone check it out. It's perfect for the people that listen to this podcast. I mean, it's exactly the type of stuff that resonates with this group. So you will absolutely love it. JF, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I know that you're busy. You've got tons of stuff going on. I'll put all your website and social media links in the show notes, but uh, really appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom with us today, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Greg. All right, everyone. I hope that was helpful. Thanks so much for listening in. If you enjoyed that episode with Jean-Francois, please let me know on social at Dr. Greg Wells. If this was helpful for you, please share it in your network. That would be fantastic. If you can give us a review on iTunes, that makes a huge difference. And please subscribe on whatever platform you love to get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening in. Really appreciate it. Stay healthy and safe, everyone. And we'll speak to you again really, really soon.